are back at Pot and Market. I know it's been a while since our last episode, in fact, a year, and I have to apologize profusely for not doing an episode in that long. I have a lot of side projects. I think those of you who know me personally know that I'm pretty much involved in a lot of things in this town, and I uh, got a little sidetracked with those side projects, so much so that I kind of let the podcast you know, fall uh, on the wayside. But I have to thank everyone out there who kept inquiring about the podcast, kept asking me about when the next episode would come out. And I'm deeply grateful to that. I think I took for granted that uh, the show had a following and uh, the following was pretty sizable and vocal. And sometimes when you do this kind of work, you don't get to see that audience in person and you don't know that they're there. And when you kind of go missing, they notice, but you don't notice that they're still there waiting for you. And so I I'd want to apologize again for not doing an episode in so long. But uh, after all those conversations, I decided, you know what, I'm going to put my nose to the grindstone and come back and do episodes of the show once again. And I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, I'm hoping to stick to a two-week uh, episode uh, timeline. I can't guarantee that, but I have some pretty interesting conversations lined up. This episode actually is about the state of the city, which I'm pretty excited to talk about. The next episode I'll drop is actually an episode I recorded a year ago, and it's going to be very interesting to listen to that one, only because you're going to see the time passage and what we were talking about a year ago and how that compares to now. So it's actually pretty cool. And I have some interviews lined up with local business owners, uh, people who are movers and shakers in this town. And I'm pretty excited to actually have those conversations and talk about what's going on in Newark. Uh, COVID hit us really hard. And three years on, it's kind of interesting to see where this town is, where it's going, what needs to be done, what's left to be done. And to talk about those issues, to talk about what people are doing. I initially launched this podcast as a show to discuss issues on a panel uh, format, which is something I still want to do. I have potentially a live episode uh, lined up for the summer, uh, probably in August, although I'm not too sure yet. But uh, it'd be pretty fun to do one with an audience in person and with a few people uh, involved, which will be really, really cool. Um, And... uh, You know, I want to continue that tradition of talking about those deep and important issues. So stay tuned. Um, Enjoyed this particular episode. And I hope we we continue um, doing episodes that you all enjoy. On April 18th, Mayor Roz Baraka held his annual State of the City at NJ Pack. The event opened with Newark residents reading of a poem, singing the Star-Spangled Banner and lift every voice and sing and performing a spoken word piece. There was also an invocation led by Pastor Nivia Nieves. The speech ran to almost an hour and largely consisted of the mayor expounding on a topic area, followed up with video testimonials of residents and people working on that issue. The topic areas could be outlined as follows, public safety, education, amenities and quality of life, housing and economic equity, employment and economic development, and then pandemic, health, and the arts. The mayor ended with his usual peroration calling for the city to state Newark and proud of it and extolling the audience to hold the line. 
He even made an explicit reference to Angel Reese, a college basketball player who declined an invitation to the White House after captaining the winning NCAA championship team. Um, this speech uh, was a little bit different than past State of the Cities. It uh, was largely more focused on previous uh, existing programs and policies as opposed to introducing new ones. So um, this is you know, a good opportunity to talk about what the mayor has outlined and what he finds important. And I have with me here Mark Bonamo. Mark is the editor-in-chief of Tap Into Newark and a Newark resident. He has long reported on local news and politics in the city. For many years, Tap Into Newark has been recognized as the state's best local news website. And for me personally, it's where I go to find the best and most up-to-date reporting on the city. Take that, NJ.com. And (laughs) um, (laughs) I uh, I actually uh, love talking with Mark. We've had him on last year during, uh, right before the election for the city council and for the mayor. And he's a really great font of both information, but also analysis about what's going on politically in the city. So uh, how you doing, Mark? I'm great. Beautiful day in Newark. The cherry blossoms are out. Yeah, it's that time of year. I mean, I adore it. It's very ephemeral and fleeting, but it's just great to bask in the pink, the blush pink beauties of the blossoms. That's two weeks, two, three weeks Newark has every year. Fantastic. So uh, I just wanted to get your initial thoughts on the state of the city and what you were there in person. I actually saw you because we were both sitting in in the same box. Um, I'm just wondering what you thought about both the in-person aspect, but also the the content itself. Right. Well, the in-person aspect, this was his ninth state of the city address. Mayor's first elected in 2014, successfully was reelected in 2018 and 2022. So, He's up there in a typical state and city address in any municipality is usually you're in front of a crowd of supporters, a lot of times city workers, um, people who are in some way invested in the city, whether it's culturally or economically. So with that in mind, there's a you know very decent sized crowd at NJPAC to hear the address. Well over a thousand, maybe more than two thousand people, judging from the size of the crowd. But what you're essentially trying to to do in a state of the city is, for anyone, is present a vision. It's both a snapshot of where you are as a city, and where you hope the city will go. So, you know, leading into that, you probably want to lead off with the things that you think are your greatest accomplishments. And, and we're going to go through um, some of the content of that speech where we're talking in many ways more of a, a recap of accomplishments uh, during his time as the mayor of the city of Newark. A little less on, on anything new, but still a good compendium of what he thinks he's done right. But Interestingly, on this particular state of the dress, right off the bat, uh, Mayor Baraka goes into something that the city did wrong. And, uh, you know, I think that's something we should examine in terms of why to start the tack with the tack he took in terms of this address and, you know, why he might have done that. Just to be clear, you're talking about the sister cities. Um, uh, I don't know what term to use here, but... Um... 
it's not in, an incident, but it's more of a uh, to for the listeners who don't know um, in. March, right, Mark? I think it was, or February, I can't yeah, remember no, exactly when. Um, a quickie, a quickie. Yeah, if you right, want to go into it. No, Mark, please, if you if you have the uh, the details, please share it with the audience. A quickie rundown is, is in January, the city of Newark entered into a sister city agreement, something that cities around the nation commonly do. You know, it's good to foment these types of cultural and trade ties with cities both around the nation, around the world. And what the city of Newark chose to do was enter into a sister city agreement with a supposed Indian nation known as the United United States of Kailasa. Turns out that the United States of Kailasa is a completely false organization. It does not exist. It's bogus. Um, disturbingly, uh, the organization of the, this bogus United States of Kailasa it's run by a fugitive from sexual assault charges in India. Apparently, he goes around perpetuating this hoax on cities, you know, across his nation in India and across the world. Um, the city enters into this agreement, and then, as it's proven to be a hoax, uh, in terms of the American media market, Tappan in New York was the first to report on it, and it caused quite an embarrassment for. Um, for the mayor and for his administration, we reported it first. Um, by the way, good call. Then, good call on that. By the way, because that was amazing to see that you were reporting on it way before what I call the Johnny Come Latelys in the media. Um, exactly on it, and yeah. you know the Johnny Come Latelys, you know, did a lot of times what Johnny Come Latelys do. You've got to come up with a new aspect. Some of them could chose the new aspect of being well, you know, these these talk show hosts talks about it and so on and so forth. I'm not sure if that anything adds anything valuable to any examination of, of said incident, but people do what they're going to do. But he chose the mayor interestingly to, to talk about that right away. And one would wonder why are you leading, you know, with your chin? You've already taken it on the chin for this incident. Why are you talking about this uh, in your first sentences of an address? An address when you're basically trying to, um, as any mayor would, point out what the city's doing right instead of what, in this case, it did wrong. You know, I, I do. You know, it's funny is I, I hate talking about this particular topic, but I, I do want to delve into a little bit and provide a little more of the meta context as well, because I feel like either you knew about this or it was just background noise to you. But what made this story so strange, aside from the the optics and the the actual problem itself, right? There's a legitimate problem here about what what oversight goes on with these kind of things. But the meta conversation is where I thought things got really strange. I um, this happened to coincide with the unveiling of the Harriet Tubman Monument. When I say coincide, it wasn't exactly. It was the the thing actually occurred. A month before that and then the news cycle i mean you reported on this and then the news cycle picked it up and it was an enduring story for a month and a half and still really continues to be i think that's why the mayor began the speech with it but what right drove me nuts about it was uh those of you who know me personally know what i do as a day job and uh, i was involved in the unveiling and the construction of that monument and i kept track of the media reporting about 
the unveiling, which is relatively good. Although I had a bit of a point, uh, uh, a kind of axe to grind with the New York Times, who's a paper I really like otherwise, except on its reporting on Newark, right? Because it really, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just didn't, I think, did a good job at reporting on the unveiling of the monument. They even sent a reporter. They actually wrote about it before the unveiling, which is a whole thing in itself. And I, I was astounded to see how the legs that the story had. And I think part of my theory is the like, sorry, that the sister cities uh, story had, because I think it's just, it has a kind of prurient kind of layer to it where it's like, Oh, I get to watch a city fail and fulfill the expectations I have around that city. But it was just like, it wouldn't die. It would be like, you would go a few days and then Politico, I think Politico was the first one to uh, resurface the story. Right. And then it was NPR with a really badly written piece. Uh, oh, no, sorry, it was Cal Penn actually first, after the Politico piece. Cal Penn doing his bit. He was guest hosting for Trevor Noah, who had just recently right. left the right, Daily right. Show. He did his thing, and then NPR rehashed it. And it just kept coming back up. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, this is this is a level of insanity. Like, we've had issues in New York before. We've had major, you know, scandals and whatnot. But this was, like, something different, Right. And and I, I want to give the mayor some credit, at least, on why he had to address it. But I also, like, this is the thing that refuses to die. And it just becomes, like, a meta discussion. And I feel like, in my opinion, the mayor's addressing of it was just about the meta discussion. It wasn't about the what I consider the, the, the lapse, the actual, like, procedural lapse that occurred, as opposed to, you know, just the, like, what we exist in now is a national problem, right? This, like, everything's all about the narrative and the battle over the narrative, and then it becomes, like, right. the meta battle over the narrative, where it's fighting over the way the narrative is told, right? So it's, like, two steps removed from its um, its original thing. Anyway, that's my two cents on, the, on why the mayor had to address it. No. And look, there is no doubt there is a lot of nonsense in the media, unfortunately. You know, there's not always best practices out there. And, you know, there is no doubt that there is also clickbait out there mm-hmm. as part of this nonsense. And the mayor has repeatedly um, referred to coverage of this whole incident as clickbait. Yeah. All right. You know, you're entitled to your opinion. But what I think really needs to be looked at is how this happened in the first place, right? You have a situation in an administration, in the Brock administration, where the press office is supposed to pick up on things like this. It is the simple act that we all do in life. It is to Google, right? Google. And you may find out not only that Kalasa is a fraud, but that the person behind it uh, (laughs) is a fugitive from heinous criminal charges so how does that happen right first there's a question of basic competence which needs to be addressed and thought about because you know as residents and taxpayers here in the city of newark we want to think that our government employers are doing their best work at all times and that the people who put those in those positions take that to mind um you also have to wonder if people inside the administration and not just people working in city hall and i'm not just talking about the press department i'm not talking about departments across the board are so afraid of potentially speaking out and saying hey look you know there's 
there's a real problem here. Maybe you want to do something about it and feeling like their voices will not be heard or, you know, potentially other consequences. So they're kind of, you know, maybe even intimidated into silence or feeling intimidated. I think there's also, there's also a cynical take, right? Which is right. Maybe people knew, and this is, we're not going to get into this, but like, if you look at who was involved and who wasn't in the, the signing of the agreement, it's, it is glaring, I think. Um, and one has to wonder if there's a cynical take of like, maybe people even had a suspicion, but was, were willing to allow it to happen. Right. For whatever Hmm. reason. Um, I'm not saying that's what occurred, but that's also like a layering on the whole thing, right? Because, you know, there are, I mean, I think this is true with the media narrative. There are people who want to watch the city burn metaphorically. And like, this goes back to that earlier point I made where it's like people, the reason why I think it kept coming back up is it, 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 um, it fits a pre-existing narrative. And I think a lot of social media and media reporting in general is driven by how much does something adhere to a narrative or how much does it break through a narrative? Both are true. And those things uh, um, are the fuel that drive viewership, in essence, clickbait, right? And so that's my thought, too, is like there's a little bit of that going on, I think, of just like this is so But then, you know, but interestingly, uh, in his address, Mayor Baraka chooses to revive the piece of so-called clickbait Mm. in a way to garner attention to something else. Right. He pointed out, immediately after talking about the sister cities agreement the bogus sister cities agreement that there is a state senator in south jersey a republican a michael testa now let's think about this right he's a south jersey lawmaker he is from cumberland county the basically the geographic bottom of new jersey far far away from essex county far away from the city of newark right I would argue that most people in that crowd don't know who Michael Testa is. But Mr. Testa chose in his capacity as a legislator to uh, promote a bill saying, hey, you know, we don't want these type of embarrassments such as the city of Newark did. And, you know, requiring the New Jersey Secretary of State to approve sister city agreements going forward. All right. Mayor chooses to pick up the ball and, you know, point a finger at Testa and saying, you know, listen, you know, essentially, why are you doing this to us? You're picking on Newark. You know, you're trying to put out a narrative about our city that is simply untrue. Right. We're proud of being from Newark. And, you know, and as he does, he can be a very effective order. Mayor Baraka, you know, he's he's being very emotive, being very vociferous, being very forceful in speech and going, you know, you need to think twice if you're going to come at us that way. Okay. Now, the idea of us versus them in Newark politics has been a very powerful driver for decades, for generations. Newark, in many ways, is an underdog. It certainly has been since the events of 1967. Some call a riot, some call a rebellion. So in that framework, being like us versus them, Newark versus everybody, and Newark's going to triumph, that's going to play very well 
to a local audience who's going to hear that. But then you wonder, he's talking about other issues in this address that don't necessarily have to do with local politics. He's increasingly talking to broader issues, right? Trying to speak to a broader audience. There is increasingly speculation that Mayor Barack is considering a run to be the governor of New Jersey. So if he's making that consideration, then that consideration could also be evidenced in the speech he's making. He's saying, here in Newark, us versus them, that's fine. But does us versus them, how does that message play in a Democratic primary? Remains to be seen. Locally, it's going to work. In a Democratic primary, maybe, if he gets enough votes. But if you're appealing to a statewide audience and you're immediately taking on a combative tone, even if you have been legitimately been aggrieved, is that going to work if you're trying to appeal to suburban voters who you're going to need if you hope to be elected governor of New Jersey? Thank you for that um, segue, because I, I think it's something we were definitely going to come, come across in, in this um, discussion. And the the whole statewide versus local thing is definitely present in the speech. I have points where I marked where it was explicit. I think the best example is calling out that the state was copying something that the city had pioneered, which was the Office of Violence right. Prevention and Recovery, right. I think is the official title of that office. And that was the not so subtle version of it right like that was right. like well that's not really it's definitely not explicit but it's definitely not subtle right and um there's more subtle stuff which is just like the I meant the color scheme someone a friend of mine who's actually been on this podcast pointed that out and was like that's the state flag color scheme and then <laughs> whatever yeah. um two things also that were very um like structural in the speech which was reviewing things that were already done as opposed to announcing right. new policy. And that's actually probably a function of the fact that if he's not term limited, maybe he's self-imposing a term limit on himself, which is what you do, right, when you're in your last term is you uh, don't announce new policy. You focus on executing the stuff that you've already done. and uh, Or if you do announce it, it's because you're eyeing some other thing, right? right? Um and that was the read I got. I guess my only issue, and, and not to get too horse racy or too into the meta stuff about politics, but I've always wondered what is the driver of those rumors? Because I don't think it's the mayor himself. I think until the speech, it wasn't the mayor. I think this, the speech does make the mayor a little more of an actor in this stew of talk. Mm. But I was hearing this already a year ago, and I never understood it because of the practical realities of the mayor lacks a constituency outside of Newark. Maybe there's some analogousness that could occur in the urban cores of Trenton, Camden, Patterson, Passaic, but does he have purchase in Hoboken, right? Which is a subset of democratic voters. Like, so no. the first thing that the mayor has to do is win the democratic primary. And if he were to run right now, his biggest obstacle will be Steve Fulop, who's declared uh, as of right. last week. I think. Right now, <laughs> the one person who is, you know, 100% favored to be the nominee 
for the Democrats for governor in the next election is Stephen Fuller. Right. Why? He's the only one who's declared. Of course. But he also has, I mean, so don't, don't, don't get it wrong. Right. Despite some scandals, he also has a great record behind him that allows him to, to run. Sure. Right? There's the sure. the development of Jersey City, uh, his background, uh, military background, and is also like, you know, charming witness. Right. And then also his response to the shooting uh, the of of um, at the Jewish grocery store in uh, Bergen right. Lafayette, right? Or Jewish owned, right. I think, not specifically a kosher and, you know, grocery right, store. But right now, yeah. in terms of anybody else running for governor, you know, we're officially changed, chasing a ghost. Folks, of course, the only Democrat yeah. declare. You know, Mikey Sherrill, Congresswoman from the 11th district, she may run speculatively. Assembly Speaker Craig Hoglin. Um, Former state state senate president Steve Sweeney. I was waiting for this. I was waiting for Sweeney, despite the the horrific year he had last year. <laughs> right. And again, you know, hey, people might have ideas in their head. People may want to speculate, so on and so forth. Um, it may be easy to automatically think, well, the mayor of the state's largest city, of course, would be potentially a gubernatorial candidate. But urban candidates in New Jersey politics running for governor historically have not done very well and steve folk will will face the same potential challenges as a result i was actually looking but, this up i think the last mayor to win was mccreevy which is weird because he was a mayor of a of a semi small semi sizable right that, that, but a suburban a, a suburban yeah. place and uh, more or less suburban place, right. right but you haven't had like the likes of uh whoever it was mccarter or and there's like four, obviously there were newark mayors who had become governor but we're talking in the 19th century right uh, right by like frank egg jersey city yeah. you know a titan for decades in the, in the 20s 30s and 40s he never became governor now there are a lot of reasons for that but you know he had immense power but he chose not to wield it as governor. And also there's certain people who maybe would never vote for an urban mayor for a variety of reasons. But, you know, I think that in terms of the speculation where it's coming from, this might be today. What he was doing in the state of city, if we're looking at it through that prism, is like wonderful. I've got a free test audience here. Mm -hmm. Let me test out a few of these broader ideas. You know, let me talk about, you know, reproductive rights issues let me talk about gun control let me talk about these broader things and see how it goes over right because on a private level i think mayor baraka is seeking to make or solidify alliances with the smaller majority minority cities around the state building relationships in places like atlantic city and camden where you could potentially string together a couple of these cities, build that type of coalition, and therefore be a force in a primary. Mm. So I think he's out there, one way or the other, laying some sort of a groundwork. It also could be benefit him to build better relationships throughout the state in order to business and investment in the city of Newark. Could potentially have nothing to do with the gubernatorial race. Well, that's but, that's the other, other part. Like, I think we're just so blindsided by governor. Like, there are other offices he can run for that aren't statewide, that are also a leg up from where he is. There's, I hate to put it, I hate to call it this particular seat, but you know, at some point, Donald Payne Jr. won't hold that seat anymore, right? What? And but, that's you know, I, I, that's the one that that's the most viable one. I don't think he becomes county executive. It's not his milieu, no. and 
if you think it's going to be hard to run across New Jersey, it's going to probably be even harder. Actually, there's less of a chance, I think, of Barack becoming county executive than governor of New Jersey, which is the irony of ironies. Um, just given the fractured state of right. suburban politics in, in Essex County. But, but um, you know, it, it's, funny, it's funny you bring that up because I think it was 1962, Hugh Adonizio, mm. right, the last, former mayor of uh, Newark, former mayor of Newark, yeah. the last white mayor of Newark before he was ultimately defeated by Ken Gibson, the first black mayor of Newark in, uh, in 1972. 70 or 72? 70, yeah, that's right. Right after the, 70. the rebellion. So it's, yeah. it's 1962 and Adonizio says, hey, I'm going to run for mayor of Newark. And he's a sitting congressman. And this is an apocryphal story in, in some ways, but people supposedly said that in Ezio, well, why are you doing that? You know, why would you go from being a congressman on a federal level to being the mayor of Newark? Mm-hmm. And uh, reportedly, Adonisio said, well, you know, nobody becomes a millionaire as a congressman. <laughs> now, that's kind of a statement about you know, the corruption of the time in the 60s in Newark and New Jersey and large. Of course, we still have a problem of cop- of corruption. And I'm not trying to, you know, cast any aspersions about money in this particular situation. But the point of that comment is also there's a lot of power that can be derived by being the mayor rather than being the congressman. You are, you know, the main person in charge you are the chief executive. You run something, right? You go to Congress, you're one of 435 other people, and you just showed up, and you don't have much seniority. Right. When you are the senior official of a large city, and in this case, the largest city in the state of New Jersey. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Payne ever steps aside, sure, that would be Barack's seat to have and to hold for as long as he wanted, probably. And, I, th- no. and I think it's more appropriate for him because I think he's an interesting counterweight for national politics or Newark politics being represented nationally to Booker. Right. Because right? Booker represents the, someone who could easily win statewide office just because he quite literally was born in a New Jersey suburb but became mayor of Newark and so has those two constituencies, although not necessarily the complete loyalty of them. And right. he's able to play to both audiences, although I'd argue he's a little bit better playing to suburban audiences, but that's a whole different podcast in its own right. Um, whereas Mayor Baraka will have a constituency largely of Newark, although not exclusively. I think the congressional district runs into both Elizabeth and, and Irvington. I have to check those boundaries. But he could then be that voice in the House, and like 10 years later, he's actually in leadership, right? Maybe running sure. the Congressional Black Caucus, maybe, you know, is a minority or majority leader, depending on the state, right, of politics. Sure. Um, sure. and can fill that role, so, yeah, and, and like actually could right. use um, his po- like personal politics to grow that in a way that like in the gubernatorial, the, the governorship is so much weirder. I think um, it, it, it's weirder, but at the same time, so much more powerful. True. You know, the nineteen forty seven the nineteen forty seven state constitution in New Jersey made it so that the governor has tremendous influence over the daily workings of governor in New Jersey, right? You have an immense amount of power, which for people who might be ambitious even for a higher office than governor of New Jersey, somehow being the governor of New Jersey could be very tempting. Of course, it also means you've got to be the governor of New Jersey. You actually have to do something, right? Because, you know, as small a state as this is in size, it is packed densely with a lot of people and has a lot of influence and a lot of money 
I mean, we're one of the wealthiest states in the country. Um, per capita, I think Connecticut beats us, but uh, we're so much larger than Connecticut. It's not even funny. It's not even funny, but yeah. we're up there. So if you have, if you think you can do it, if you've got the ego, if you've got the drive, I understand why somebody would want to run for governor of New Jersey. But then what that means is, okay, you're going to run for governor of New Jersey. You want a higher job. Great. How are you doing at the job that you have? Yeah. Right. What's going to happen is if the mayor, who I certainly think is considering a run for governor, one of the things he has to take into the equation, or he's going to find out if he hasn't taken this into the equation, is there is a lot more scrutiny in terms of how you've done the job you've had already about your record if you're going to be governor so you know if you're front loading your state of the city speech with oh you know this whole thing about this you know bogus indian nation that we made a sister city agreement with you know this is all bogus this is all clickbait well people are going to be taking a much more protracted look at you and how you're doing your job about the competency of the departments in your administration and how you handle criticism Yeah, because it's coming, right? It's already here to a certain extent and it will only magnify if I, he chooses to run for government. And this is why I think it's tragic that NJ.com doesn't really keep a beat report. And I'm sorry, this is, I know they're your rival and competitor. And, um, but they they have a, a, a statewide audience in a way that um, Tapatu just doesn't because Tapatu is more locally focused. And I think that is um, it was unfair, I think, to the mayor, weirdly, to ha not have that scrutiny initially because it would allow the mayor to, to grow around it and to, to address it and to deal with it. But I think it's unfair for him if, let's say, he does decide to run for governor, then to have just tons of NJ.com resources and Star Ledger resources dumping into newark to like search every closet and it's just like where were you years ago right why is this look, it, it, relevant look, now right and that's actually i think do, annoying we could do five podcasts yes. on how news has suffered right and news has shrunk and detracted but at the same time even with smaller resources if you are committed to doing the job you can still do an effective job right and uh, what the mayor should already know, and what he's certainly going to find out, is if you want to be the mayor and you want to be governor, scrutiny is part of what happens. And, you know, again, the scrutiny is, in this case, you know, are you ready for prime time? Right? Is your, can your record withstand a real look? How are you going to react when people question you? How are you going to respond? And as part of that response, you know, these are the type of responses that build relationships or destroy them. Yeah, I guess we'll see. And uh, I mean, it's still so early, but like we'll see finally in 2024. I mean, th that was the joke about full up announcing. Everyone was like, it's two years. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Right. I think well, it's, the, the last, that's, By the way, that's the irony, because the last time when uh, he, everyone thought he was going to run, this is an interesting little side fact. 
Mayor Baraka endorsed Steve Fulop for governor mm. before Fulop ever endorsed. And then Fulop never actually ran. Right. So I think Fulop this time was like, well, at the very least, you know, I'm not going to make that mistake. I have learned something. I'd rather be way too early than to, you know, pull a, you know, Hamlet. Uh, on <laughs> a Mario, a Mario, Mario Cuomo famously had the helicopter <laughs> yeah. waiting in Albany to exactly. go to New Hampshire. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Please, please Fulop this time decides I will not be the Hamlet of Hudson County and I will run. That's funny because right? like Mario Cuomo was described as Hamlet on the Hudson. And I feel like this is Hamlet on the Passaic or the Hackensack. Right. So there you have it. But yes, there's, yeah. there's a tremendous amount of time left. But so, again. Yeah. No, no, sorry, please. No, no, no. I mean, it's just, again, how you're choosing to frame your message. Right. What your targets are in your messaging, what you wish to present. You know, these are things that are already interesting to look at because I think a lot of eyebrows were raised right off the bat when he, he started off that way in his speech. But it's only going to be more closely looked at in the weeks and months ahead. So I made a promise to myself that we would actually talk about policy in our last few minutes because I knew we were going to spend Excellent. a lot of time talking about Excellent. these two particular issues, the sister cities and the governor's uh, rumors. Sure. But there was policy discussed in the speech. I, I'm still kind of milling on my opinion on whether or not uh, there was too much of the video testimonial. I felt like I was more watching a movie at times than hearing the mayor speak. Right. Although it is a state of the city, it's not a technically a speech for the mayor, but rather a presentation of the whole city's efforts. Um, mm -hmm. But there were these six sections. I tried my best to kind of get a feel for what they were. There was definitely some combining of like-minded sections, even if they weren't necessarily feeding into each other. I think pandemic health and arts being one section is an example of that, right. where there's a, there are connections there, but it's not like na a natural thing to do. I think for me, and, and I want to hear your thoughts too, on what you thought the one that had the most weight. I think the first one, the public safety one was the one where it was a, a complete narrative arc, right? Talking right. from the consent decree, the number of murders to, uh, yep turning over the defund the police narrative, which is often accused of urban mayors, uh, particularly from the right wing of U.S. politics, to the hiring of new officers and the establishment of the new police academy. That was the one for me that felt the most arc, like there's an arc, there's data, there was, it was all, it was everything in there. Um, I don't know if you had another policy area that you thought was like particularly impressive. No, and look, impressive. I, you've brought up an important point because again, there has been significant advancements made in dealing with crime in Newark through things such as, you know, violence prevention initiatives, the work of community groups, the work of the Newark street teams. You saw during the George Floyd protests, right? Our George Floyd tests, George Floyd protests were peaceful, right? Because again, they are trying the, the you know, as Barack has been mayor, there have been active efforts to try to use things like violence prevention initiatives trying to work with community in order that those types of, of tensions you've seen in other parts of the country, all around the country, you've seen less here because a sincere and good effort has been made in that regard. And, you know, when you look at a, a violence prevention initiatives, that could be potentially a model for other cities around the state. Look what's happening in Patterson, right? Attorney generals had to take over the city of Patterson's police department because yeah. of a lot of involved shootings. It's a nightmare. Right. Um, you know, I have another media role. I, I host a, a television show 
on Sundays on Channel 9, a public affairs show called New Jersey Now. We've talked about that extensively. You know, I was talking to Attorney General Plotkin the other day. He, he had a conference here, was part of a conference here in Newark about redlining, which is a whole other topic we can talk about. But put that forward, right? If you're talking about what you've done right, you know, why are you not leading off with violence prevention initiatives that have been effective? You know, and another thing you talked about a lot was, you know, say the housing stock, giving people the ability, you know, hopefully to own their own homes, right? Using mortgage subsidies here in Newark as a way to start people down the road to the American dream, you know, redlining in many ways, block that for communities of color, you know, talk about how you're trying to expand home ownership in Newark. Talk about um, increasing the affordable housing stock through inclusionary voting, through inclusionary zoning, excuse me. Um, you know, affordable housing, in many ways, in many communities around New Jersey are, you know, a real bugaboo to bring up, um, even though there was you know, the Mount Laurel decision, which said, you know, there has to be affordable housing in New Jersey. People are still often terrified it. City of Newark is not afraid to talk about affordable housing. They encourage the idea of horrible, affordable housing through inclusionary zoning. You know, these are good things to talk about. It's um, I'm actually kind of surprised with the housing one in particular that uh, there was no explicit reference to David Trout's report, which is less than a year old at this point. Right. Someone who I want to have on this podcast so badly. Uh, he, Absolutely. I, I read that report and uh, was both like, yeah, this totally makes sense, but also completely surprised by it. I, I, it's it's very rare for pieces to do that to me to have both effects. And I think the mayor was addressing that in the stuff he was talking about, but um it was definitely something that I was kind of surprised there wasn't at least one sentence nodding because the mayor has talked about this in the past. It's not something he's yeah. avoided, but specifically the the corporate and LLC buying up of land in the city has reached almost fever pitch. Um, yeah. Now they may be receding yes, now with a low, uh, with a high interest rate uh, um, environment and that this, it becomes a harder debt finance these kind of purchases, but it'd be interesting to see. Right. I mean, but it was also it was also interesting of note things he didn't talk about mm. when he talked about education. He talked about, you know, helping a group of students get scholarships to local colleges to increase economic opportunity in that way. But there have also been a lot of problems um, with our education system here in Newark. Yes. Yes. Specifically problems revolving around the leadership of school superintendent Roger Leone. Um, Captain of Newark wrote a series about how the old St. James Hospital in the Ironbound wanted to try to turn it into a public high school, specifically promoting the building trades. Then the person who's the developer behind the project using completely non-union labor to do it, making sure that people do not get paid their prevailing wages, which is actually against state law, and ultimately the state Think there's still things going on revolving around that project but at least temporarily the state stopped the project because of the violation of these laws right yeah when you're and also some of the reading scores and the performance well i was gonna say the, the, your most recent terrible. stuff your right. most recent stuff was on the attendance i've actually been following i'm going to include links in the show notes to this uh right. but the attendance no. and proficiency stuff was was pretty devastating attendance to read this stuff is very disturbing the numbers are bad and 
there's, you know, look, COVID was horrible for our society across the board. It obviously had an effect as well in education, some very deleterious effects um, for pupils. But at the same time, there's only so long and so far you can blame COVID for these numbers, for performance numbers and for absenteeism. You know, Newark works so hard, strives so hard to regain local control of their schools. When the mayor was first elected in 2014, that was one of his major, major campaign platforms, how badly Newark needs to control its schools again. You know, if things like this continue, like performance numbers going down, absenteeism um, going up, uh, problems over real estate and, and leadership, you know, one would wonder if Newark is in danger of losing control of its schools again if yeah. you keep going this road. Especially and, since especially since Governor Murphy's not running again. I that's in the back of my head because I think what would have right. prevented him in the past was worrying about losing democratic support in the cities. But you just saw with Patterson, although I think Patterson that was more of a I think a mutual recognition on both sides that this was the best way to do it because it took away heat from local people to have to do what they didn't necessarily what they wanted to happen but not wanted to do if that makes right. any sense um it does. whereas and in newark like taking away local control again would be a, a such a flashpoint and such a you know political incredibly disaster and and again it's like well the leader of this you know the superintendent of schools in newark well that's the schools right that's dealing with roger leone's leadership that's not leading with mayor baraka's leadership does it Oh, yes, it does, because this is your city, right? This is your city. The buck stops with you, Mayor Baraka, when it comes down to issues like this. You're an educator yourself. If you're running for governor, don't you want to promote yourself as, hey, I'll be the education governor, right? Well, you know, with a record like this so far in terms of the performance of the schools, that could conceivably call it into question. So, again noticeable talking about violence prevention initiatives notable talking about the affordable housing stock these are good things also noticeable he didn't talk about what's been happening in terms of the school system yeah uh, i just want to round out the conversation and just ask you to like you know if you if there's anything else you noticed during the speech that you wanted to call out uh, before you wrap up well uh <laughs> the uh thing maybe I noticed more most about the speech besides you know being mindful of all the policy stuff is not only the beginning of the speech but the speech's end mm. mayor ends the speech god bless newark and god bless the state of new jersey <laughs> yes who are you talking to <laughs> who's this for what's this about and these are the questions that you know as readers of the local news readers of statewide news and just as citizens democratic citizens voting in a democratic society we need to be mindful and to think about yeah. and be willing to question well thank you for that mark um you know i want to end always with the question i ask every guest on this podcast and we'll continue to do so with my new um, with my new season of episodes and that is what are you excited for in newer hi you know i'm always excited i mean you know, the cherry blossoms are starting to fade but this truly is my favorite time of year right you know 
people say good things and bad things about New York all the time. But this time of the year, there's nothing but good to say about this, this miracle of nature every year. So ephemeral, so fleeting, but so wonderful. You know, Newark is the beauty spot of the United States right now. Yeah. And I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. I, I have to echo that too. Um, if it weren't for my severe tree allergies, I only get allergies this time of year, which I guess is a little fortunate compared to some other people I know. Um, mm. But uh, I, I do adore walking around Branch Brook Park and taking it all in. Um, it's, it's you know, aside from the tourists that can kind of clog up everything, it's it's a really magical time to go up there. Let them come and let them see something beautiful. Let them see something beautiful. And uh, in relation to that, my ending quote is actually going to be from Haruki Murakami's Norwegian Wood, which uh, both, you know, obviously cherry blossoms have a strong connection to Japan, but uh, Murakami is a really interesting writer. He he definitely writes in an ephemeral, fleeting way, um, and also very ethereal. There's a, definitely an atmosphere to his works, and I always found him a very interesting writer. It's amazing that I'm only getting to his most famous book now in my life. I've read other uh, parts of his work as um, before. And I just have this like interesting quote from uh, closer to the end of the novel. It's just about um, friendship and um, thinking back on memories. It finally hit me some dozen or so years later. I had to come to Santa Fe to interview a painter and was sitting in a local pizza parlor, drinking beer and eating pizza and watching a miraculously beautiful sunset. Everything was soaked in brilliant red. My hand, the plate, the table, the world as if some special kind of fruit juice had splashed down on everything. In the midst of this overwhelming sunset, the image of Hatsumi flashed into my mind, and in that moment, I understood that the tremor of the heart had been. It was a kind of childhood longing that has always remained and would forever remain unfulfilled. I had forgotten the existence of su such innocent, all but seared in longing, forgotten for years to remember that such feelings had ever existed inside me. Thank you.